Um, my name is Nathan Hinkle, and I'm the campus pastor here, and if you're new around White Oak, or maybe this is one of your first times here, in a, in a couple of weeks on November 3rd, um, we're doing, we try to do something once a month called Meet the Pastor, and um, I, I'll lead us through that, and you can register for that on our website or on the app, or you can write that, you, you know, check that off in your connection card or write that in. Um, it's just an a, a informal time for you to come and, and get to know me. Um, I'll, I'll share a little bit about White Oak and, and about my family, and um, I will tell you this. I'm going to leave you with three things. I'll tell you the truth uh, in, in, um, in Meet the Pastor on November 3rd, so you've got to sign up and go. Um, I'm, I've had a job before um, I came to White Oak, and it was either I tore out and replaced windows, I worked at a daycare center, or I worked for a caterer. So I will tell you which one I did before I started working at White Oak. But if you don't come to be the pastor, you'll never know. And you'll lose sleep between now and November 3rd. All right? So uh, meet the pastor. It'll be a great time. We'll get to know each other and love to share with you a little bit about White Oak as well. So we have been in a series um, for the last several weeks looking at the New Testament book of Romans. And Paul writes this letter to the churches. And we say churches because remember in the first century, there weren't church buildings. And so the churches met in homes and smaller or medium-sized gatherings of believers in their living rooms, all right, praising God, eating together, praying, worshiping, and that was the setting. So Paul's letter to the churches in Rome is passed around and read to these gatherings, okay? And this is about 25 years after Jesus died, okay? The, the Jesus movement is spreading throughout the Roman Empire. And, and what Paul's message really for Romans 1 through chapter 7, there's, there's a lot there, but most of what there, or what is there rather, is that Paul is saying what you do, where you've come from, what you've believed or what your religion has been in the past, it doesn't matter. It doesn't get you anywhere with God. None of us can have a right relationship with God based on anything in our past or our present. So Paul highlights then throughout Romans 1, and we've been encouraging you to read, so if you have been, you'll see this. If you haven't been, pick up a Bible at the Hub on your way out. They're free. We want you to have those. You can download a great Bible app that I can share with you, and you can stop by the Hub, and we'll share what, what one that is. Be reading through it, because you're going to see these patterns. It's going to be an amazing thing. But what, what Paul says in response to that is he shares, then, the good news of Jesus. All right? We can't get to God based on anything. Religion, good works, indifference, none of it. All right, so he highlights this good news of Jesus. He says, God's grace through your faith is what saves us from sin and makes us right with God. That's the central message of the letter to Romans. So I'm going to pray for our time this morning, and then we're going to jump into Romans chapter 8. So if you would, pray with me. Father God, um, we are here this morning. Um, God, we left our homes this morning with uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of distraction, um, maybe some anger to some people in our home, uh, stress, 
um, or, or we're looking forward to, to the stress or the busyness of the day or the week. Father, I pray in this moment you would just capture us, that you would capture our minds, capture our hearts, Father, and, and do a transformative work in us through your word. Uh, we know that you'll do it, and we ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this is where we get to in chapter 8 today. Paul starts out Romans chapter 8 in verse 1 with this phrase right here. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So our big idea today is it's printed on the front of your program. You were handed when you walked in here. I am not condemned. I am am not condemned. So he starts with any time Paul, as you're reading through the New Testament letters, Paul writes a lot of them. In fact, he writes most of them, all right? And, and whenever he says in, in any paragraph you come to, therefore, or so now, what Paul is doing is he's calling our attention. to, And what he's basically saying is, everything I've said up to this point is leading to this next thing. So pay attention. So now, he says, there is no condemnation for those who have put their faith in Jesus. So what he's saying is, you and I will be judged by God. Everybody will. But in Christ, like in Jesus, he will find no charges against you. Okay? He's saying that though we are guilty of sin and separation from God, God's going to treat us as though we're innocent. We live in a sphere of safety and security if we are found in Jesus. We are loved and forgiven and free to experience God and all of his goodness. That is when Paul says the gospel, the good news, that's what he's talking about, right? We're free. We're guilty, but we're found innocent. That's the good news. Now, this, this idea that we are not condemned pushes against the culture that you and I live in today, doesn't it? Because you and I live in a culture where we're condemning people and people are condemning us and we're actually kind of condemning ourselves all the time. I mean, you don't have to go very far to see your homepage come up with MSN or turn on the news or listen to the radio, and, and everybody's condemned today, aren't they? Politicians, government officials, celebrities, people that you work with, your neighbors, your friends. We're all vying for the opportunity to condemn one another, and that's the culture that we live in, right? You, dis you disagree with me on anything? I condemn you. And when we say condemn, it, it means just what it means, right? You're written off. You and I are, don't have a thing to talk about. I'm here, you're over there, and nothing's going to change that. I don't like you, I hate you. That's condemnation. You're gone. You're out of my life. And that's the culture we live in. It was interesting to see on the news, um, and you probably saw this. I don't know. It was just it's this quick blurb. Ellen DeGeneres, did you see this? The criticism she got for sitting at a Cow Dallas Cowboys game with uh, former President George Bush. Did you see that? And she was blasted on Twitter 
For how could you sit next to a man whose policies um, worked against the LGBTQ communities? Like, how could you do that, Ellen? Condemn him, right? And she fired back. I don't know if you saw that. She fired back and said, listen, we can sit next to anybody, right? Just because we think differently about things doesn't mean we can't love each other. Doesn't mean that we can't be friends. Doesn't mean we can't interact, and she fired back on it, right? But we live in a condemning culture. You feel condemned by friends and just written off, like if you don't make it into that friend group or you don't make, get that invitation to that party that weekend. And we condemn and we judge and we write people off on social media all the time. People that we don't know, we do it to them. We do it to people we do know, don't we? So we just live in this condemning culture. Just, we're just like biting and tearing at each other, and we sort of live our lives anymore tiptoeing around, fearful that someone's going to be ready just to judge and condemn us, and actually, secretly, when it's just like me alone, we're really good at condemning ourselves too. So when God says, when Paul says, no one is condemned, no one. You all do it. We all deserve it. But in Christ, in Jesus, it doesn't happen. That pushes against everything you and I experience in our culture today. So the first question that we need to ask ourselves, if you're a follower of Jesus, and, even, and, and actually, even if you're not, this is a question we need to ask ourselves, is how did God do it? How does God make that happen? Well, in Romans chapter 8, and and really right there in verse 2, look at what it says there. It says, And because you belong to him, being Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And then a little bit, verse 3 here. So God sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's how he did it. So Paul then goes into this discourse, and he did it in chapter 7, but he's going to make a different point about it in chapter 8. Paul says there's these two natures about us. There's the sinful nature, and then there's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. There's these two conflicting natures in every believer. Now, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, if you aren't a Christian, this, is, this, this reality is present in your life too, okay? And you may not call it by those names that those of us who, who are Christians would, but you, you also see this war in your soul, over the things that you know you shouldn't say, right? The things that you know are wrong to do or wrong to do to, to, to others, right? And, and then there's that inner voice, right? Or that conscience that speaks to you and says, that's probably not best, that's probably not good, that's probably not right. So, so there is, that, that happens in all of our lives. Like that, that tension is there, right? But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you would just call it something different. But we all recognize the reality no matter what we believe about God, Okay? So Paul calls one of these natures 
the sinful nature. And so th- that's, that's, that's what we're going to call this, the, the sinful nature. The sinful nature is not a hard thing to describe, okay? Because we've all been there, all right? This is the nature that's in us that is more selfish than it is selfless. All right, the sinful nature causes you and I to be more selfish than selfless. So the sinful nature it was, is what says lie to get ahead. Lie so you don't get in trouble, or you don't get caught. The sinful nature says I am more important than anything else, and, and it draws us to that place. Okay? The sinful nature says it's okay to put someone else down because ultimately you'll feel better. The sinful nature, the, se- the selfish rather than selfless, says, says that greed and self-glorification is really what life is about, what career is about, making a name for myself, getting honored. Right? The sinful nature says, yeah, it's you, it's about you. And it's more selfish. The sinful nature um, is one that says, I'm more insecure rather than confident. And the sinful nature causes us to feel insecure. It's why we'll experiment sexually. It's why we'll experiment with drugs. It's because there's an insecurity about all of us, isn't there? It'll be made whole one day, but right now we still live with it. There's an insecurity about us. And it causes us to experiment. And it causes us to, to question our, our, our identity. Is our identity found in, in sexuality? Right? Is it found in something else? We're insecure. And the sinful nature just draws that out of us. The sinful nature, right? Okay, one more example. The sinful, sinful nature um, causes us to listen to other people's opinions about everything and about ourselves or our own opinions rather than God's. And it draws us to itself. The sinful nature condemns you. And it condemns me. Right? That's what Paul says. In fact, look in, in a little bit down in verse 5. See what he says. He says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit Think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So if the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in a minute, leads to life and peace in your mind and in my heart, right? Then the sinful nature takes away peace, right? Just, I mean, automatically. The sinful nature takes away peace. It leads to indifference. Anxiety, selfishness, insecurity. Anybody ever felt these things before? And the sinful nature draws us to itself and as a result brings these things out in our life. And the sinful nature condemns us. So, the other power at work Paul talks about is the Spirit. The Spirit of God. Now, we don't have time to get into like this long theological discussion today, all right? But there is this concept, the word's not used in the Bible, but the concept is throughout. And that is the Trinity, the triune, the three persons of God that makes up, that's one God, but three persons at the same time. 
Don't ask me to explain any more than that, all right? Because it's beyond what my mind or yours can comprehend. But the Spirit of God is one of those three, the Father and the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul says this Spirit is the one that comes inside of you. When you express faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. And then this is what's interesting, and you see this later in chapter 12 as well, so there's a little hint for you, all right, is that the Spirit's, the first thing it does is it begins to transform your mind. The Spirit of God comes inside of you, and it begins to change the way you think about yourself, about other people, and the Holy Spirit will teach you the things about God that you did not experience or know before. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. The the Spirit's desire, once you have placed faith in Jesus, the Spirit's desire is, is I want you, the Spirit empowers you, okay? It gives you this. Is I want you, your mind, to be transformed into thinking about the things that God thinks about. Think about that. (laughs) The Holy Spirit's job is to transform your thinking so that you think like God. So that you care about the things that God cares about. So that you love like God loves. That's an amazing thing that many of the people in this room right now have stirring inside of your soul. Paul says that's the spirit. Look at what he says. Uh, Verse 9. But you, followers of Jesus, are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And Christ lives within you. See how he uses the terms interchangeably? Jesus, Christ, Holy Spirit, same person, right? Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die someday, right, because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. So the Holy Spirit is this, and Paul talks about this in other places too. It's a fascinating thing. So the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of every believer is like, is is a deposit. It's a down payment of what is to come in eternity. Okay, do you get this? Listen, um, uh, I just, we just replaced my Corolla. We bought a a newer, newer car and, and we put down a deposit, right, on the car. Okay, so now I get to enjoy that car. I get to drive it. I, it's, there's this thing that are in cars. It's called Bluetooth. Have you heard of this? <laughs> you need to check this out. Um, I'll, I'll explain it to you later, but it's amazing. Anyway, I get to enjoy the Bluetooth that was not in my 2003 model, right? And I get to, I get to drive that car. Now, I just put a deposit on it, right? So later... In a couple of years, when I pay that off, I mean, that's going to feel good, right? When I get the title in my hand and put it in a shoebox somewhere up in a closet, right? It's mine. Like, I get to enjoy that money on my monthly payment that I'm making now. Like, I get to keep that money now and spend it on a car for probably one of my stinking kids. But the point is, the metaphor breaks down real fast. Um, The point is, all right, 
The Holy Spirit's a deposit. It's God's down payment in your life saying, I'm present with you now. See the evidence? But you just wait because that's just a deposit of what I'm going to do in eternity for you. It's down payment as proof that everything I've told you is true. And Paul says, that's what you have. There is no condemnation if your faith is in Jesus. You enjoy now what will be exponentially greater later. And though you suffer and we hurt now in this life, you have a deposit that guarantees you that it won't last forever. No condemnation. We have been made right with God. So, so the question is, that's how God did it. So how do you and I respond? What do you and I do with that? Well, to understand how you and I respond to this nature, this, dual, this dualism, right, that is at work in life, we have to understand what's going on inside of us. And I think, and I can speak from experience, because I don't always understand. I don't think most Christians know what's going on inside of us. Look, let me explain this. Look at chapter 8, verse 14. Okay, listen. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received, brought, notice it's all, it's all past tense, like you're in, right? You're in. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. So first, if you, we want to know how to respond to this amazing gift, we have to understand what's going on inside of us. And Paul says, understand this very clearly, the Spirit confirms who you now are. And you are sons and daughters of God. And it's interesting, he uses these two phrases. He says, children of God, which is a descriptor of you are the, it, literally the born ones of God, which means you've been born as a child of God, as a son of as a daughter. And then he switches the word, but you've been adopted now through the, through the down payment of the Holy Spirit. You've been adopted. You've been brought into God's family. And now you are, you have the spirit of sonship. So you're not just children born into God's family, but, and the word that he uses in the Greek is that you are now sons of God, which means you are at a mature enough stage to take on the gifts and the responsibilities that being a son and family brings to your life. You're mature enough to take on the privileges and the responsibility of sonship. So we respond to this good news like a kid does to his dad. And I love, I've always been fascinated by that Paul uses this word, Abba, which perhaps you've heard the Aramaic um, Hebrew word for, for daddy. It's very intimate, isn't it? It's what Jewish boys and girls would call their father before they came to age as a 12-year-old. 
Abba, Daddy. Paul says that's our spirit crying out to God's spirit. Daddy. It's intimate. It's trusting. And it just like abides in this unconditional love. Like a kid to his father. Paul says, make no mistake. If you are in Christ and you have this deposit of God's spirit in you, then when you respond or when you struggle to know how to respond to that, please know from where you respond. It is as a son. It's as a daughter of a really, really good dad in heaven. And the reason most Christians, and I say this with humility because God has just been speaking this into my heart very, very recently. The reason that most Christians will never experience the beauty and the freedom of being loved by God and the full life that he has for us is because we think we are in a struggle that we aren't even in. We think that we are fighting a battle that we aren't even fighting. Most Christians, God forbid, will spend their lifetime thinking that the Christian life is a battle between sin's condemnation and trying to be good, a good Christian, right? And that's how you live. That's how we live every day. It's, it's what being a Christian is. It's this battle between sin's condemnation and trying to be a good Christian. And so we fight this battle of performance, don't we? I, I mean, we, we, we're raised just to, to do this. We, we've got this, I believe, like, am I believing the right things? We ask ourselves this. Right? Am I believing the right things, trying to be a good Christian? Because there's plenty of bad, there's plenty of wrong things to believe, Right? Am I obedient, right, to, to God? Am I doing the things that God asks me? I, I, I'd like to think so, but there's plenty of times I don't. And we feel that angst, don't we? That's religion for you. Right? I'm checking all the right boxes on this, this religion check sheet, right? But there's some that I don't check as often as others. Dang. So we fight this battle of, of performance, this battle of purpose, right? What's the real goal? What's the ultimate goal? Is it to go to church and obey some of the rules and just feel like I'm a good person? Or is my purpose um, it, it really just kind of a title? Is it just kind of like this list of beliefs I have? Or maybe my purpose is just to go. Go and accumulate, go and win, go and make, like we said, make a name for myself. Like, what's the real purpose of life, right? Is it following a bunch of religious rules, or is it just getting as much as I can out of life before it's over? And we fight this battle. That's, that's the battle of religion. We fight this battle of identity. Who am I really? I mean, who am I really? What defines who I am? Is it what gender I think I am? Is it who I find attractive and what gender they are? Is it how much money I make? Is that how good my kids appear? 
Is it whether or not I'm dating someone? Is it whether or not I'm married before I get too old or get married again? Does that fulfill my identity? We don't know, do we? We feel guilty about it. We feel godly about it sometimes. And it's as if, our, and, I, and I think many, many of us, many of us have known Jesus perhaps for many years. And, and, and we believe it's as if our relationship with God is constantly teetering between the two. Ah, oh, the sin that wants to condemn me and this freedom that I've heard about. And that's not true. Guys, I want to tell you something. We've been fighting the wrong battle. Teetering between two things that aren't even the right two things for you anymore. See, the tension that those of us who follow Jesus have in our lives is not the tension between these two forces. Do you see that? That's what Paul says. The tension that you feel as a follower of Jesus is a tension that we experience between the renewal. So we're, we're redefining the renewal of our spirit now and the eventual renewal of our whole body later. Let me cha- change the paradigm. Okay, look at this. Look at this with me. The paradigm shifts here, all right? In Christ, you have the spirit. This power of God, okay? The, 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 the big Bible word is sanctifying you, which really only means that God is doing a work in you to bring you to increasing levels of Jesus-likeness, okay? He wants you to look, he wants your life to look like his son's. But you have the spirit doing that. The moment you put your faith in Jesus and surrendered your life to him, the spirit enters and God is doing a work in your life. Look at what, what Paul says. He says it to the Corinthian Christians, all right? But he says this in, in chapter three of 2 Corinthians. He says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. The Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Do you understand that? That's the work that God's doing in you. So the tension that you feel as a follower of Jesus, this is the tension. Let me explain it to you in a couple of different ways. He's transformed your spirit by his spirit. You've been saved. Your mind is in process right now of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, right? However, ultimately, one day, the transformation process will be completed. And your body will not have cancer anymore. And your body won't hurt anymore. And your mind won't fade. And then you won't feel sad about things. Your relationships will be, compl- I mean, you will be completely restored and not suffer anxiety through those things anymore. The sin that still has influence, not power, but influence in your life will be eradicated and you will be made completely whole. Do you understand? This is the tension that we feel between saved and eternity. And you've been fighting the wrong battle. 
as if it was between condemned and I hope God likes me enough. So the tension that we feel as father of Jesus is that Jesus' death rescued you and me from the power of sin. Guys, understand this. It's past tense and present. It's done. Jesus' death rescued us from sin. But experiencing the working of that power in your life and in my life is, is, is daily conduct controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's the tension that we're in, is that we've been saved from the power of sin, but it still has influence on us. And our daily conduct, either we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, or we don't. And you and I feel that, don't we, daily? And just because this is the tension that we feel. Listen, we've been fighting the wrong battle. The struggle with sin's influence on our lives is not that you're condemned. I am not condemned. You are not condemned. And the tension that you feel as a follower of Jesus is simply that sin still has influence in us, doesn't it? That selfishness, that insecurity, it still has its fingertips trying to dig into us. And the tension that we sometimes feel is, is symptomatic of that reality. So there are days and seasons in your life where you don't feel God's goodness. And you're not enjoying the best version of life that he has to offer you. That you're not experiencing that transformative power of the Holy Spirit in your life. One author said it like this, you're in Christ, you're forgiven and set free, but sometimes you behave like you're not. There's tension there. But do not mistake in it for the tension that you used to think it was. The Spirit is molding us to be more like Jesus. And God is doing a work in you. And the work is between these two places. Salvation, you've been saved. And someday in eternity, everything will be made right again. And if you're in Christ, you live in that place. You live between those two things. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Listen, this is what Paul says. Now you have an understanding today. That you do not operate teetering on this, oh gosh, I screwed it up, and well, I hope God doesn't condemn me, right? We don't teeter on that. That doesn't even exist for those of us in Christ Jesus. We operate in this continuum out of our identity as a son and daughter of a good God, God in heaven. You operate on this continuum as a son and daughter of a good God in heaven. And that is a game changer. Listen to what he says, verse 33. Who dares accuse us of whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. 
And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is good news. So we're going to go into a time of reflection. Here's what I want to give you to think on today, to talk to, talk to our dad in heaven about, all right? And just reflect on these truths right here. Do you feel like you've been operating in your relationship with God as a daughter, as a son, freedom of that name that's been given to you? Or have you been fighting this battle that has already been fought and won? Ask yourself that. Can you today walk out of here and maybe for the first time operate as a son of a really good dad in heaven who loves you. As a daughter of a God in heaven who thinks you're so special. That's the place you're in. And it's time to start acting like it. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been following through this thing and you're like, I don't know what continuum I'm on because I've never accepted Jesus. Like, I, I don't know that I have the Holy Spirit. I've never surrendered my life to, to Jesus. Let me encourage you to do it. To surrender your life to a God who, who has won the battle for you. And if that's something you want to talk about in a couple of Sundays, we want to do some baptisms um, and, and we will talk to you about that, about just surrendering your life to a really good dad in heaven. God's constant work of conforming us to his son, this is the point of Romans chapter 8, that God's constant work of making our lives look more like Jesus's, the sanctification, right? It's as good as done. It's as good as done. And that is the destined end for everyone who believes.